Hey, this is Kerwin Santiago, pastor of Social Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I pray that this message blesses you and helps you grow in your faith to become more like Jesus. So now I'm ready to go into today's uh, sermon. Uh, we're going to continue uh, our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount titled Counterculture. How many are receiving something? How many are, are getting something out of it? Amen. Well, I hope, I hope that many of you are getting as much as you can out of this. I know that I'm blessed as I am preparing to preach these messages. And I want you to go with me uh, since we've been here um, for the past four weeks already to Matthew chapter 5. I want you to go there. And I want you to look at the verse that we'll be dealing with today in chapter 5 of Matthew. I'm reading from the NIV uh, verse 3. Matthew 5 verse 3. I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. You can look up here on the screen and, and we'll have it for you. But I want to now take the Beatitudes which we're diving into this morning. And we're going to go ahead and touch on the first beatitude. Um, depending on how you break this up, and I'll touch that on that in a little bit. You know, you have between eight to nine beatitudes within this passage of Matthew uh, from verse 3 to verse 12. And there are different ways of dividing this up. And I'm going to, like I said, go into that in a few minutes. But I want you to understand that these beatitudes are the moral vision, if we want to say that, the moral principles that Jesus is setting out for the people that belong to the kingdom. And so when we look at these, we're going to go ahead and break them up and go into detail in each because, man, each one is so important that we understand what it's all about. And up to now, I've been giving you an introduction for the next nine weeks we're going to be right here in these Beatitudes. And I hope that when you leave or when we finish at least this part of the series of the Beatitudes, that you will leave with a better understanding of what the kingdom of God consists of. Let me say it this way better. Of who the people of God are. Right? Of who the people of God within this kingdom are. What they look like how they act, what are their characteristics. And so Matthew 5, verse 3, should have found it by now if you didn't. Man, we need to pray for you. Matthew 3, it says, after Jesus got up on the mountain, the disciples came to him, the crowd had gathered, he began to teach them, and he said, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord is blessed, and we'll get right into it. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Now let me begin by saying this. The Beatitudes describe those who are part of the kingdom. They describe those who are part of the kingdom. Now there is someone that said that Jesus, he said Jesus does not tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. Um, or that we should be meek. 
or that we should be peacemakers as we go through this list and find out what they consist of. Jesus is not saying be that, all right? What he's saying is simply that many who are called into the kingdom will find themselves in this condition. And that's a big difference. But I believe, listen, that it's probably both. That it's not necessarily that we should try and be poor in spirit or meek or that we should try to be peacemakers, um, even though we should, and I'll talk to you about that in a few minutes. But it's that we should also understand that these people already in this condition, who are already poor, who are already meek, who are already peacemakers, when you look at those people around you and you say, man, that guy looked like a peacemaker. You know, he's just peaceful. And he doesn't like fight. He doesn't like doing any of that. That guy, you look at somebody else, you say, man, that guy, that person is meek, looks meek. You know, like they're humble. And you look at somebody else and you say, man, that person, look at them. They're poor. That when you identify them as in these, with these characteristics, that you can say, hmm, they look like those that belong to the kingdom of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? So they possess these qualities. And they possess these characteristics. And so we should then accept them into the kingdom of God without trying to change them because those characteristics that we see in them as maybe less are actually good. Those characteristics that we see as in poor or as in meek or as in peacemakers as a deficit in somebody's life, come on, you know what I'm talking about, that we look at those people and we say, Bendito, you know, in Spanish, bendito. Poor baby. We should try and help them get out of that. We should try and help them change that. And we try to at times. That instead of doing that, we should look at these people with these qualities and say, maybe instead of me trying to change them, maybe I should try and be more like them. So we should acknowledge their place in the kingdom without labeling them. We should not push them out or look down on them. Why? Because God's favor is on them. Particularly because of the condition that they find themselves in. Because they are poor in spirit. Because they are meek. Because they are peacemakers. They are blessed by God. So instead of being pitied, they should be envied. And so can I say something? Can I say something towards that? We need to then, if that's the case, listen to me this morning. We should remove our judgment from those people. And the reason why I say this is in particular because of our first beatitude this morning that we'll touch. That blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Because theirs is the kingdom of God. And when we speak of being poor, and in particular in spirit, we'll, we'll touch on both being poor economically and being poor spiritually. But listen, I want you to know this, that when we look at people that are poor, normally we associate their poverty with something.
something bad. And even the, the, the wisdom genre in the Bible, when it comes to Proverbs, you read Proverbs and you'll see, man, if somebody's poor, it tells you they're poor because they're lazy. They're poor because they just know, don't know how to manage their money well. And so the poverty that somebody has experienced, the reason why they are poor, we say it's because they put themselves in that position. They're poor because they simply just don't have ambition. They're poor because they just simply are poor managers of their money. They invested badly into something. And that's why they ended up there. They made bad choices. And so in other words, when we look at the poor, we judge them based on why we think they are poor. And that's one of the reasons why we don't give money to poor. You know, if you've ever been at a stoplight, you see somebody asking for money. And you immediately say, I'm not going to give them money because they're just going to use it for drugs or alcohol. I'm not going to give them money because instead of standing on the street, they should be out there working. And so we associate poverty and, and we look at poor people and immediately become judgmental about why they're poor. And so instead of us understanding that their poverty is probably a quality that makes them part of the kingdom, we say those people we should keep away. We keep away. We don't bring them close. They're poor for a reason. They don't know how to manage money like me. But listen, the truth is that poverty is not just a micro result of situations. In other words, it's not because I just simply don't have ambition sometimes that I'm poor. People sometimes are poor not because they're lazy. Not because they're just simply bad money managers, even though all that could be true. But when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor and in spirit, it doesn't have an asterisk after poor. There's not a footnote. For poverty. It doesn't say on the bottom, well, if they're poor because they were bad managers, then they deserve what they got. It just says simply, the kingdom belongs to those who are poor. And they are blessed by God. However they got to that position. Whatever the reason is for them being poor. This is what you need to understand. God's favor is upon them. And so for that reason, as a church... We should also look at them with favorable eyes. We should look at them and instead of rejecting them or judging them, we should open up our doors of our church and say, let the poor worship with us as well. So they describe those who belong to the kingdom of God. So the list of Beatitudes concerns the person's relationship not only to God,
but also to self and others as well. And some people have suggested that there is an order, an order logically or consecutively within these Beatitudes. Are you following me this morning? I hope that you're following me. Stay connected. There's an order. Some people have suggested when you read them, it, to the person that just reads the Bible just to read it devotionally and whatever, you read it and you don't even, you're not even looking for order, right? You're not even looking to see, is this a list? You know, it, 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 are these placed logically? You don't care about that. You're just like, God, speak to me today. Talk to me. But listen, when you study the word, you begin to realize that these authors that wrote the word, inspired by God, they wrote intentionally. When they put that pen down and with that ink, they weren't just writing words to write words. There was a purpose behind it. And so when you begin to ask more questions about what you're reading to try and understand what it is that God wants to communicate, you realize there is some sort of order in this. There is a reason for why it's been placed systematically, logically, or even consecutively in that way. So one suggestion, and I'm going to give you a few, is that the first four Beatitudes, they pertain to God. In other words, being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, and hunger and thirsting for righteousness. These, these, according to one person, they are beatitudes that pertain to God. And the second four pertain to our relationship with others. In other words, the second four are being merciful, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, and being persecuted. Now, whatever way that you decide that you're going to look at these, however way that you choose that you're going to break these up into categories, the one thing that you need to understand is that all of these characteristics have to do with Jesus' moral vision of what those people within the kingdom of God have. They live like this. And the moral vision of Jesus, in other words, the principles of conduct, of how we should live as the church of God, Somebody say, we're the church. Come on. Somebody say, we're the church. These are the principles of conduct, how we should behave. Listen, it's no different than you belonging to an organization. It's no different than you being an employee at a company. When you sign up, when you get hired to be part of that company, there will be rules of conduct. You are expected to live a certain way. You are expected to dress in a certain way. When you go to work, there is a dress code. When you go to school, there is a dress code. There are principles of conduct that are in play that tell you you can be part of this kingdom or you are part of this kingdom when you live or you abide according to these principles. So there's no way. That we can choose to think differently about the church. We can't say, I live like I want to live. Do what I want to do. And I can still be a Christian. Because, listen, I really only have to respond and, and, get, and, and, and 
come up and have a relationship with God. Who cares about people? I don't have to tell people what I'm doing and for what reason I'm doing it. You see, that's the mentality. For some reason, when we go to work, we abide by every rule of conduct. When we go to school, we abide by every rule of conduct. And we don't complain about it because we understand the principle. But all of a sudden, when it comes to church, we feel like we can do whatever we want to do. And it doesn't matter. And it doesn't work that way say, well, you know, I serve God, not the church. I don't need the church. I don't need to go to church. Listen, can I tell you something? You can't live these principles of conduct. You can't be part of this kingdom, let me put it this way, without being in relationship with other people. These are not individualistic characteristics. You can't say, I'm meek, or I'm a peacemaker by myself. The first reason why you can be considered a peacemaker in the first place is because there is conflict around you with maybe somebody else. And you are somebody that looks to bring amends. There's relationship. You can't live these out by yourself. We need to be together. We need to live these out together. We are one body. We are united. When you look at the person sitting next to you, it doesn't matter if they look like you or they don't look like you. If they talk like you or they don't talk like you. If they live in the same neighborhood as you or they don't live in the same neighborhood. It doesn't matter if they have the same amount of money in the bank account or not. It doesn't matter if they're the same color of skin as you or not. Listen, what matters is that they live according to the principles of conduct within the kingdom of God. If you're a peacemaker, it doesn't matter where you were born. You're my brother. You're my sister. Listen, if you're poor in spirit, it doesn't matter what social level class you're in. You're my brother. You're my sister. Shouldn't be looking down on people. Judging. Because in the first place, we can't live these out separately from each other. So the essence the Beatitudes find their foundation in the great commandment. Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But it doesn't stay there. Some people, their great command stops right there. It says, and the second most important, which is tied to the first one. You can't do the first one if you don't also live by the second one. To love your neighbor as yourself. Can somebody say that with me this morning? Can you say, listen, that's the essence That's what they're based on. We need to live by that. That's why. That's why. As we go into the first one, we realize that Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
is the kingdom. Now, Luke chapter 6 verse 20. Luke chapter 6 verse 20. Also has a list of Beatitudes. But in Luke's list, are you with me this morning? In Luke's list, Luke says, blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Right there, look, look Luke 6.20. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Back to Matthew. Chapter 5. Verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, you might not think that this is an issue. But listen, many people for a long time and Christians for a long time have been arguing as to what it's talking about. Is it just simply poor like in Luke, referring to those who are physically, materially, or is it spiritually poor, which means something spiritual? Oh, it's not that you are poor, but just simply you are in spiritual There's been debate. Which one is Jesus talking about? And if we get into this debate, people will take sides, one extreme or the other. People will say we need to be poor in reality, physically, materially. Others will say, no, listen, he's not talking about that. He's talking about being poor spiritually. And people will take extremes and there's a divide. But can I tell you this morning that it's not either or. What if it's both and? It's not just being poor materially and physically. It's being poor also spiritually. And I know that right now many of you are thinking, Pastor, what are you talking about? Poor in spirit. What does it mean? Can I break it down for you? Poor in spirit describes an economically, physically, and impoverished or oppressed person who not only recognizes her or his need, but also trusts in God for full redemption. I want to repeat that again because that definition is so important about what it means to be poor in spirit. It means it describes a person who is economically, physically impoverished or oppressed, but that not only recognizes his or her need, but trusts in God for full redemption. In other words, the antithesis or the opposite of this is being rich in spirit. It's the rich oppressor. It's the person that has nothing. Here you go. If Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs in the kingdom of, is the kingdom of God, then that means that those who are rich in spirit don't belong here. All right. Are you with me right now? The rich in spirit are not the blessed. That means physically speaking as well as spiritually speaking. Now, to be rich means to have abundance, to have possessions, to have wealth, right? To have means. That's what it is to be rich. And listen, I'm not knocking rich people. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking those that are 
or less financial, if we want to call it that. They're, they have means. I'm not knocking them. If you have good things, I'm not knocking those things. The kingdom of God is for everybody. I just want you to get that straight right now before people start saying, Pastor is saying we all have to be poor. Listen. But what I want you to understand that there is a correlation between spiritual poverty and physical riches. That's why when God took the people of Israel out of Egypt and he was taking them to a promised land who was a land that was full of blessings materially. He warned them about something. He said, warning, when you enter the land that I have promised and you attain it and you see all the blessings and you become fruitful and you have abundance, don't forget your God who brought you out of Egypt and into the promised land. In other words, he's saying there is a correlation between physical riches and spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty is acknowledging. Spiritual poverty is acknowledging that you have need of God. Like being physically poor means that you are just in need of something. Being spiritually poor means that you are in need of God. So when you are rich physically, materially, abundantly in terms of this earth, there is a danger. To want to think that you're also rich spiritually. And therefore forget that you have a need for God. I don't know if you're understanding what I'm talking about. I'm trying to in the next five minutes break this down as best as I can. But I want you to understand this. That those who belong to the kingdom of God are both spiritually poor. And at times they are physically poor. Listen. Not only in the Old Testament do we find that. Jesus himself told his disciples you cannot serve God and riches. You can't. It's impossible to do both. Why? Because the moment that you have some sort of abundance in your life, come on, correct me if I'm wrong. I've been there. In fact, I'm there. We might not be rich according to American standards, but listen, we are good. We have plenty. We have everything we need. We have no lack. We have more than one pair of shoes. We have more than one shirt. On and on and on and on. Man, we have abundance. Come on. Can I get an amen to that? And so when that happens, there's a danger to begin to put our trust in those things instead of putting them in God. Listen, that's why it's hard, Jesus said, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because he said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not that it's impossible. It's just that it's hard. Because the rich person. The person that has abundance. Puts their trust in their riches. They put their trust in the things that they have. And they forget that they have a need for God. Pastor, well, that's not me. 
I have a lot of stuff and I still seek God. Well, can I tell you something? Yeah, you seek him. But I guarantee you that you're not seeking him like you would if you were poor. Listen, I know this because I've been to many South and Central American countries. And the hunger, the desire for God, the churches are packed. The people are giving, five-year-olds, ten-year-olds are sitting there listening to a grown old man preaching something that here, a five, ten-year-old, a 40-year-old will fall asleep listening to. And over there, they have their Bibles open, ten-year-olds have their Bible open, marking everything. Why? the only thing that they have to depend on. Can I preach to somebody here? And so those who are poor in spirit, both and physically or spiritually, belong to the kingdom of God and they are favored by God because they recognize that they have a need for God. And if we ever needed something, it's we need to have a hunger and a desire, a recognition and an acknowledgement that we have a need for God. So that's why, that's why this morning I'm going to finish with this. By saying that a spiritually rich person not only is one rich physically, but rich spiritually is a person who, even through their own efforts and works, as works of religion, believes that they have earned rewards, spiritual rewards, maybe even material rewards, by the work that they have put in. A rich person is one who has obtained abundance by working, right? They've done some sort of work. And the spiritually rich person is the one who feels like they have done spiritual work because they pray, because they give offerings and tithes, because they fast, because they serve in a ministry. These works are building for them in their mind a big bank account in heaven. There's, they feel I'm spiritually rich because my salvation, my, my security and assurance in my salvation rests and depends totally on what I'm doing because I'm praying and seeking God and I know I'm good with God. Because I'm giving, man, I'm giving offerings and tithes. Man, I'm accumulating rewards in heaven. I'm rich, spiritually speaking. I'm good. I fasted last week. I read the Bible in one year. They feel like they're accumulating it through their spiritual works. They're becoming spiritually rich. And they're accumulating. This is the, this is the judgment Jesus had against the Pharisees. Because that's what they thought. That's why they paraded themselves praying in public, fasting and letting everybody know they're fasting. So that people will look at them and say, wow, they're so spiritual. They're spiritually rich. They must be part of the kingdom. 
But now Jesus, when he begins the Beatitudes, he reverses the concept of who belongs to the kingdom. It's counterculture. It's not those who have worked spiritually and have accumulated spiritual rewards that belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's those that when they try to pray, maybe they can't even get down their knees. Maybe they don't even feel like they're righteous enough or good enough to get on their knees to pray. Maybe it's those that don't fast because, listen, they're poor already. They fast on a daily basis. They don't have the means to buy as much, to eat as much. It's not those who give a lot of money. And when people look at them, they say, wow. You know, when we look at celebrities and they give this big amount to an organization, we say, wow, they're so good. That's not the measurement for goodness in the kingdom. Because maybe somebody that doesn't have the means to give a million dollars or a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars to a cause is probably still more spiritual. And it's more part of the kingdom than someone who does have the means. So if I was to ask you today, if you die right now, would you go to heaven? Many would say, I don't pray as much as I should. 
and I should, and we should. I don't fast as much as I should. Maybe we should. I don't give as many offerings and tithes as I should. Sometimes I have bad thoughts, and I shouldn't. But my salvation, thank God, doesn't depend on how much spiritual work I do and how many spiritual rewards I receive. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit, both and physically and spiritually. They're blessed. They're favored. Not because of what they can offer God, but because of how much they acknowledge their need for God. And if you want to be part of this kingdom, that's the only thing that you need to do. Is to acknowledge, God, I need you. I need you. I'm spiritually poor. And if that means that in the course of my life, as I gain abundance materially, that I should give that. Not hold on to it. Share it. Then I also understand that I don't depend on those things to be blessed. I don't depend on those things to be happy. I don't need a new house, a new car to be happy. I can be spiritually poor. Physically poor. And know my trust is in God. The one who will at one point in time reverse all things and I will get my reward not because of what I've done but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Stand to your feet this morning as we close. Close your eyes, bow your heads. And if this morning you say, Pastor, I, I want to be, I want to this morning surrender everything to God. I want to surrender all, all, everything to Him. Because I don't want to depend in my material things. I don't want to depend in my spiritual work. I want to depend on Jesus Christ and trust Him for my salvation. And wait on Him for my redemption. If that's you today, lift your hands right there. I want to pray for you. Lift your hands right there. I want to pray for you. I say, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, as you see these hands go up and everybody in this place, I ask you that recognizes right now that they have a need for you. They recognize their spiritual poverty, their need. They can't live without you. I ask you that you come to them right now and that you fill them with the assurance and the peace they need to know that their salvation is secure, not in their works, but in what Jesus Christ did. I declare right now all condemnation must go. I declare right now all guilt must go in the name of Jesus. I declare all depression must go. I declare that all and every single desire or need to want to perform and act to attain your favor goes in the name of Jesus. And I declare they receive their freedom right now to be free to serve you, to love you, and to love others. In the name of Jesus, we declare it to be done. Amen and amen.
Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who give. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if you did, please subscribe, share, take a screenshot, tag us, and I'll see you next time.